I'd like to have you turn with me to John chapter 21. John 21. For those who have been following us over the last three years in the book of John, this is our last study in John. Some of you are going, wow, finally, we get there. (laughs) But it has been a little over three years that, uh, that we've been studying this wonderful and powerful gospel. As we began a couple of weeks ago, this is the third of, of a, just three teachings of John chapter 21, uh, a chapter that began with the disciples being in the Galilee as Jesus had commanded them to, to be there where he would meet with them. Uh, As we said that first week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, that uh, Peter would be the focus of of this this chapter for the most part. As we considered what an epilogue was, uh, this really fits the classical understanding of an epilogue in that it uh, focuses upon one character to really sum up pretty much Uh, everything that has been written in the gospel itself. We see how Peter decided as they waited for Jesus to go back to fishing. And not just to go fishing while he waited, but it was more an indication of him saying, it's time just to go back to what I used to do. And because of his great influence, he led six other fishermen who were also disciples with him. Some were mentioned there, of course, at the beginning. Thomas and Nathaniel and James and John and a couple of others. They went back to their profession. And being the very good professionals that they were, they went out at night, because that's when you went out to fish in those days, and they did something great. They caught nothing. Because all along, when Jesus began his earthly ministry and began to gather his disciples together, he said one thing, without me you can do nothing. And I'm not going to let you be fishers of fish anymore, you're going to be fishers of men. All that plays into our study today. But there they were after they had tried to catch fish fishing all night as another time back in Luke chapter 5 we examined last week as well they didn't catch anything until Jesus told them where to fish Jesus was standing on the shore very early that morning and cried out to them hey have you caught anything children and they said no he said the net on, cast the net on the right side of the ship. Jesus always knows where the fish are. And sure enough, they caught a lot of fish. And as soon as they caught it, John knew it's the Lord. He told Peter. Peter threw his robe on and he jumped into the water to get to Jesus. An interesting little setup when they finally get to shore that Jesus had a fire of coals, fish, and bread. 
We saw the significance of that last time. But in a very general sense, Jesus had prepared breakfast for his disciples. But again, the whole thrust of what was going to be done was going to be between Jesus and Peter. So we read in verse 15 now that it says, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? <clears throat> he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. In other words, you walk wherever you wanted to go. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldst not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Now, at some point in time in our Christian walk, we may find ourselves being tormented by our consciences over some sin, whether by faltering in faith or, or some failure or fault that weighs too heavy on our heart to confess outright. I know that I've certainly been there. And I'd venture to say that each of you have too. But Peter was tormented. He was tormented by his conscience much more than the other apostles, simply because his denial of the Lord Jesus Christ before the crucifixion was, was so pronounced. And it was public. But when we do a, a deeper examination of, of the scriptures, we find that Jesus wouldn't have let Peter stew in his guilty conscience for too long. Jesus was always quick to deal with Peter's indiscretions or even his momentary lapses in faith. You remember the time that Jesus was out there on the water when the, uh, the disciples were in the boat and there was a tremendous storm and, and uh, Jesus walked out on the water to them and toward them. But he, what he said to them was, come, come to me. In other words, get out of the boat and come where I am. And the only one that got out of the boat was Peter. And for a time, Peter walked on the water as he walked toward Jesus. Until Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and put him on the storm, and he began to sink. And immediately we're told that he cried out to Jesus, Lord, help. 
That's all he said. And Jesus immediately pulled him out of the water and they walked back to the boat. Jesus didn't let him bobble up and down inside the water. He says, well, yeah, Peter, I'm teaching you a little lesson. Go ahead, just wait for me. And Peter goes, one, two, three. Well, he didn't do that. He said, Lord, help. And Jesus pulled him right out. You never let him stew. Very long in his problems. He questioned the Lord. We'll get to that in just a moment. Jesus dealt with him immediately. So we can deduce then from the word that Peter had met privately with Jesus to take care of Peter's sin issue, that very issue of his denial. We can, we can begin to uh, surmise these things in Luke chapter 24, for example, in verses 33 and 34. The account of, of the, uh, the disciples that were on the Emmaus Road. We're told here in verses 33 and 34, it says they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them, they were, uh, and them that were with them saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So that suggests that Jesus met with Simon privately and possibly quite immediately to deal with what he had done. And then there is, of course, the statement that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 15 when he gives us that encapsulated version of, of the gospel and what the gospel is and of how many people that Jesus saw after the resurrection. And he mentioned in verse 5 this very small little statement. He says in that he was seen of Kephas, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 5. Kephas is the Hebrew pronunciation of, of, the, of the name that Jesus actually gave to Peter, which is a stone. He said in that he was seen of Kephas, and then notice the next word, then of the twelve. And that suggests the fact that he saw Peter before he revealed himself to the disciples. The fact that Peter denied the Lord publicly made it, made it necessary for, for Jesus to restore him in public. And in this case, in the presence of his brother disciples and apostles. And it was necessary because what Jesus wanted to do was restore Peter to his apostleship and to his leadership. But this wasn't all that would be accomplished that morning. Let's also remember the initial context of this chapter. Peter, in waiting with the other, uh, the other apostles for Jesus by the shore of the Galilee, as I mentioned earlier, he decided to go back to fishing. And not just as a recreational thing, he, went, he wanted to go back as, as his, uh, as his uh, profession, as his livelihood. In deeper examination, and whether or not it was due to his failures, Peter forsook the Lord's call to be fishers of men, to fish once again for fish. And as I said, his influence brought six others with him. Oh, we'll just go with you. We'll start a nice business. 
We had a nice time with Jesus for three and a half years. We don't know what's going to happen after that, so let's go back to what we know. And so the lesson was primarily for Peter, but, but it was also for the rest of the disciples as well. And at this point, we can consider how loving the Lord was with Peter and the others as he prepared to deal with their spiritual needs. What did he do? He took care of them. He took care of their physical needs as well. He fed them. He gave them time to dry off. He allowed them the opportunity to get warm, to satisfy their hunger, and to even enjoy personal fellowship with them. That's what the Lord wants to do for all of us. That we might be so enraptured in, in his love and mercy and his fellowship that when he is ready to speak to our hearts and correct us or, or to help us or to change us in some way, that we realize it's going to come from a loving shepherd and not from one who wants to destroy us or take away from us. Jesus is the master shepherd here. He is the master shepherd. The Lord wanted to make sure that Peter and the rest would never deny him again or to fall back from his mission he had called them to undertake. Jesus was serious about their calling to be fishers of men and what we learn today is to be shepherds of sheep. And so in verse 15, going back to our text, verse 15, so when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Shimon, that was his name, Shimon. That was the name that Peter had, that was the name that he was known by in Capernaum and in the Galilee region. It was also the name that he was known by before he came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It was the name that represented him, his, his earlier life, his character, his reputation that he was known by. When Jesus first meets him, what does he do? He changes his name. You shall be Peter, Petros, a stone, in Hebrew, Kephas, a stone. So how interesting that Jesus goes back to that name. Why? Because of character issues. Shimon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. So let's first consider the irony now of Jesus using Peter's name from his unregenerate days, Shimon, Simon, because the name itself in Hebrew means one who hears and obeys. One who hears and obeys. And that's really interesting because Peter didn't even obey his own words. 
There, were, there was an earlier boast of Peter that would haunt him when, when the Lord would call him Simon. In Matthew 26, verses 31 through 35, before Jesus goes to the cross, he's making it very clear what's going to be happening in the, in the next few hours. And he says to his disciples in verse 31 of Matthew 26, And saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, and notice what he says here, I will go before you into Galilee. He was already telling them after his resurrection, he would meet them up in Galilee. Where we see them now in John 21. But Peter responds, and Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. That's quite a boast. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice, three times. And Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Consider the boast again. Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also, by the way, look at the last phrase. Likewise also said all the disciples. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're not. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're with him. <laughs> Never forget that. They just let Peter do the boasting. They thought the same way. But what Jesus brings up in his meeting with Peter publicly with the other disciples, the key issue that Jesus brings up was Peter's love and devotion to Jesus. And as we've already examined and seen, Peter had a love and a devotion to Jesus, a great love and devotion for Jesus, a sincere love and devotion for Jesus. But nonetheless, Jesus asked him, Shimon, son of Yonah, Lovest thou me more than these? Now here's the question that most people don't ask. <laughs> what did the Lord mean by more than these? Lovest thou me more than these? Is he saying, do you love me more than these disciples love me? That's a possibility that that's what it means. Do you love me more than these disciples love me? It could also mean this. It could also mean that Jesus was asking him, Simon, do you love me more than you love these friends and brothers? Do you love me more than you love them? That's a possibility here. But it comes down to another question. Do you love me more than these fish? more than these nets and these boats? Do you love me more than your fishing business and the livelihood that it provides? Do you love me more than these? Here's the reason why the question is left open the way it is. Because the question applies to all of those things. 
And now it probes our hearts as to whether we love Jesus more than anything in this life. More than anything and anyone in this life. For each and every one of us who says that we are a believer in Jesus Christ, that is a critical concern. The Lord already knows our hearts, doesn't he? We could fool some of the people some of the time, as Abraham Lincoln said, but we could never fool him. Yet he will probe us. And the reason he does is because he loves us. And he loved Peter. And he loved his disciples. The most probing of Peter's conscience by this question that Jesus asked was focused on the word love. He said, Peter, do you agapao me? Do you agape me? Because that word agapao or agape in the Greek describes the sacrificial, unconditional, divine love of God. And in fact, in the scriptures, it is the highest kind of love that God alone gives. But Peter's answer, as prompt as it was, was cautious at best because he said to the Lord Jesus, he says, yes, Lord, you know that I have a deep affection for you. I mean, I do. I love you. I love you like a brother. Because you see, the word that Peter used was the word phileo. It's a root word for Philadelphia, brotherly love. It's a special love. It's a conditional love, but it's a special love. And it's a love that God actually does acknowledge. But here's what we need to understand, is, and that is that that the Lord doesn't question or comment on that answer, but he responds with a command. And what he responded to was Peter's first answer, yes, Lord. The command was, feed my lambs. In one sense, Peter is no longer boasting. This is what we need to understand about Peter's answer. He's no longer boasting as he had in the past, even with Jesus. Because in all of this, in, in these last few weeks, as it were, after Jesus rose from the dead, Peter had been humbled, even humiliated, brought to his lowest low, And as I said, his yes, Lord, or his yea, Lord, was in response to the question of loving Jesus. Jesus knew that he loved him. But Peter couldn't boast anymore. Oh, yes, Lord, I love you. I, I love you with agape love. Can't boast about it anymore. 
It's, it's kind of like when we find ourselves so low that we kind of sense that we need to work our way back up, for, up to a, a, a greater love for the Lord. The Lord will understand that. And then he loves us with an everlasting love, which is what a kapow is. Then he said to him in the command, feed my lambs. And so lovingly yet straightforwardly, Jesus tells Peter to feed his lambs. But what he meant, and, and he uses in all three verses that we're going to deal with, 15, 16, and 17, Jesus uses different words for these statements. In the English, they're the same, fairly, fairly the same. But, but in, in the Greek, they're totally different. Jesus tells Peter to feed bosque, or bosco, comes from the, the root word bosco, bosque, his baby lambs, that is arnion. The, the word arnion means the little baby lambs. He says, feed them, feed them, graze them, as a shepherd would his sheep. His little lambs especially need the nutrition, they need the milk, and, and, and they need, you know, the, to gradually move up into whatever, it el whatever else it is that they eat. But, they, but it says, feed these lambs, these little lambs. So the Lord is restoring Peter to his apostleship and leadership in the presence of his fellow disciples and followers. And he's making sure that the changed image in Peter is from fisherman to, to fisher of men. But he, gets, he, he adds a responsibility to him of a shepherd. In other words, Peter was now to minister both as an evangelist, catching the fish, and a pastor, shepherding the flock. Now here's an incredible and amazing transformation that also takes place in that a man goes from being a fish to being a sheep. We're caught as fish, and we're fed as sheep. Don't get confused. But it's an incredible picture. Catch the fish. As we'll see in verse 16, lead the flock. Shepherd them. Feed them. Tend to them. An incredible and amazing transformation, isn't it? From fish to sheep. And let's not forget that there is a significance also in the broken net that we saw in Luke chapter 5. The broken net in Luke chapter 5 was a reminder to the disciples who were fishermen that they were no longer fishers of fish. That net breaks. Now you catch men with a net that doesn't break. What happened with 153 fish that were caught last week? The net never broke. Why? Because God provides the fish. Consider, if you will, the words of the Apostle Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 5, now Timothy has been a pastor. He was a pastor of the church in Ephesus for a time. And he struggled as a young man being that 
taking, taking the responsibility of that role and all. Yet toward the end of Paul's life, <clears throat> he continues to encourage Timothy to do these things. In verse 2, preach the word. Be instant or ready in season and out, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. That's where we live today. That's the way the church is today. We cannot deny by the things that we see, you know, whether it's on YouTube or, you know, when we listen to, you know, these, these charlatans that are, that are preaching a false message to so many people. We cannot deny that they put aside the truth of the Word of God for what Paul calls fables. He says, they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, catch fish, but then make full proof of thy ministry. Timothy, you're a pastor. Do the work of an evangelist, but tend to the flock of God. And with this foundation set in Jesus' exhortation to Peter of feeding lambs, let's add the next two verses because we want to see the, the progression that, that, that Jesus gives with this, this particular questioning and response. He, say, he saith again uh, to him again the second time, Shimon, son of Jonah, lovest or agapao thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I, phileo, that I love you. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Now he uses two different words for feed and sheep. He uses the word poimaino in, uh, for the word feed and not bosque. And he uses probaton for sheep instead of ornion, which are the little lambs. And then he saith unto him the third time, verse 17, Shimon, son of Jonah, lovest or phileo thou me. Now Jesus turns the word and he uses phileo. Do you have a deep affection and love for me that way? And that's when Peter gets grieved. Because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? Now that's an interesting thing because now we see how in Jesus' statement, Agapao and, and Phileo are very similar. And that's to remind us of one thing. The Greek translation is to help us understand the, the depth of each of the words, especially love. But when Jesus spoke to Shimon, he, he spoke to him in, in Aramaic. And, and there are different words for that too in Aramaic, but the understanding here now is Peter, with, with all of his heart, is not wanting to boast. He just says, Lord, you know that I love you, that I have a deep affection for you. And Jesus never stops in giving him his commands. And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. You know my heart. Thou knowest that I love you, phileo you. And Jesus said unto him, 
bosque. Feed my proboton, feed my flock. Understand, you have to feed the Arneon, you have to feed the little lambs the word of God. When the little lambs become a part of the big sheepfold, the probaton, you tend to them, you shepherd them, you lead them, you disciple them. That's being a shepherd. And here he says, oh, by the way, don't stop feeding the sheepfold. Don't stop feeding the little lambs or the mature lambs. Keep feeding them. So the three admonitions that Jesus gave to Peter, feed my lambs, my little lambs, shepherd and tend my sheep in my sheepfold, and then feed all my sheep, describe the full scope of the task belonging to a spiritual shepherd. It is, it is certainly an awesome responsibility to be a shepherd of God's flock. And it's not an easy thing, and it's not a, a thing to take for granted, and it's not a thing to, uh, to take haphazardly. Peter was able to write, by the way, he was able to write to the church about this responsibility in his first letter to the church in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. This is what Peter wrote. He says, the elders which are among you I exhort. The elders would be those who were the shepherds of, of that flock, of whichever flocks he was writing to. And this is a general letter to the, to the church itself. So Peter says, the elders which are among you I exhort. He's exhorting the elders. He's exhorting the shepherds. Who am also an elder, he speaks of himself, and witness, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He says to them, feed, and he uses the word poimino, which is tend and shepherd and disciple and lead the flock of God which is among you. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly. In other words, not forced to do it but you do it willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. You don't do it for what you can get out of the ministry. How sad it is that that's what we see a lot happening in the church today. People getting things out of the ministry for their own gain. Living in multi-million dollar mansions, flying multi-million dollar jets here and there. Who are they? Shit, idiots. Forgive me. But that's what they are. And the useful idiots are the ones that don't listen to the word of God, but drop their funds right in front of them. And then they mock God. When they themselves have the people throw the money out on the, you know, on the steps of their altars and, and then they walk on it, you know, like, you know, march on it. It's a joke. Anybody ever see what I'm describing right now to you? Three people in the mus? 
You need to pay attention. This is happening every day. Peter says, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither is being lords over God's heritage. Being lords or being those that, conde you know, that condescend. Whatever they wear makes them different, makes them above. Really? The only thing that Peter ever wore was a fisherman's cloak. That's all he ever was. But being in samples to the flock, being a sample of what a leader is supposed to be. And when the chief shepherd, when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that, that fadeth not away. You know, it's always so good to know that we have a good shepherd, that we have a great shepherd and the chief shepherd in Jesus Christ. He is the true shepherd. Peter and the disciples, and then later on those that they would, would bring into the leadership down through the ages, are only under shepherds. The true shepherd is Jesus Christ. He himself calls himself the good shepherd in John 10, 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. In Hebrews 13, Paul in verses 20 and 21 says, Now the God of peace had brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And then, of course, what we saw in 1 Peter 5, verse 4, the chief shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. And so now Jesus is establishing that Peter and the other disciples are not just to be fishers of men. They are now to be shepherds of the flock of God. But we now arrive to the last words of the epilogue. The words that pertain to Peter, that Jesus says to him very, very succinctly, very quickly as well. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands. Stop there. What is he saying? When you are old, you're going to stretch forth your hands. You get the picture? And another shall gird thee carry thee whither thou wouldst not. And this spake he, signifying by what death Peter should glorify God. When he had spoken this, he saith unto, unto him, follow me. Now I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a statement, I'm going to add a word to that. But, but it's not like adding, it, this is really the thought process of Jesus to Peter's heart. When he said, follow me, what he was saying was, Peter, just follow me. Just follow me. You see, Jesus had challenged Peter to serve him by feeding and tending to Christ's young lambs and sheepfold, but now he was calling the apostle to total commitment. Total commitment. 
And total commitment requires the leadership of the Holy Spirit. When Peter was young, he girded himself. He dressed and he walked where he willed. And before knowing Jesus, he ran his life as he willed. He did what he wanted. He went where he wished. He talked as he willed. He chose the pleasures he desired. He chose the profession he wanted. But before Jesus, Peter was able to live and do as he wanted when he wanted, but no longer. No longer. Jesus Christ, his Lord, his Savior, was now in control of his life. And when the apostle was older and more mature, the Holy Spirit would dress him and carry him places that he would not choose or will to go. And that is, of course, when he was in his own life, when he was in his own willful life. Would he have ever gone to a centurion's home? Would he have ever gone to the places that he ended up being in the book of Acts? Except that he was led only by the power of the Holy Spirit and the will of God through the power of the Spirit. That's what Peter did. He, he no longer surrendered to his own will. He surrendered to the will of God. That's total commitment, folks. Did Peter make mistakes along the way? Yeah, we know that. Even then, even when he was mature, we made reference to the fact that the Apostle Paul has to, has to uh, exhort or, or correct Peter, actually expose him in one of his letters. And, and, and they, uh, they were able to resolve the issue in love, in the right way. So when the Holy Spirit now dresses him and carries him to places that he would not choose to go, that, that of course refers to the suffering, the martyrdom that Peter was to undergo for the sake of Christ. We know that the first time that Jesus spoke about his own death, when Jesus spoke about his own death, Peter had opposed it. This was back in, 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 in the, uh, the young Peter in his life. This was in the boasting Peter's life. He opposed what Jesus said about his own death. And you know, do you want to know when he did that? I'll tell you when. Turn to Matthew 16. And by turning to Matthew 16, you should already know because we just made reference to it within the last couple of weeks. That is the time that, G that, that Jesus asked his disciples the question at Caesarea Philippi, who do men say that I am? And they gave a few names that, uh, that they had heard that people were saying that Jesus was. But then he asked them the question, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who answered, you are the Christ, you are the Mashiach, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, listen to what he said. He said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but the Father in heaven. The Father revealed that to you. Then he goes on to talk about Peter, the Petros, the little stone. But on the basis of the Petra, the confession that he made, Jesus would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So we all, we're, we're caught up to Matthew chapter 16 there, right? This is after that, in the same chapter. 
where Jesus said, where it says of Jesus in verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem or unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. So he's telling them very shortly, I'm going to be taken, I'm going to go and I'm going to die in Jerusalem, then I'm going to be buried and I'll rise again on the third day. But then Peter took him. In other words, Peter took him almost like he takes him aside and he begins to rebuke him. Peter became the Pope. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't mean to you know, downplay that, but he, that's what he all of a sudden thought. Well, I'm special here. And he takes him aside, and what does he do? He rebukes Jesus. Have you anybody here ever rebuked Jesus? Has anybody here ever said no to Jesus? Well, in a way, most a lot of us have, but not outright. Not like Peter. Peter just said it. No, Jesus. <laughs> not so, Jesus. Here he takes him aside and he rebukes him and he says, "Be it far from thee, Lord." This shall not be unto thee. But he turned. Jesus turns and he said unto Peter. Listen to what he said. Nice little words. Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that, uh, that be of God, but those that be of men. That was one of the boasts of Peter. When it came to Jesus saying, this is how I'm, I came to die. And don't forget that Peter had even used his sword in the Garden of Gethsemane in a futile attempt to protect the Lord from his captors. And yet Peter had boasted that he would die for the Lord Jesus. But when the pressure was turned up, he failed miserably, and we, and we probably would have done worse. But early that morning, by the shore of the Galilee, Peter had girded himself and hurried to meet Jesus. He girded himself. To meet Jesus. But there was a day coming. There was a day coming when another would take charge of Peter and kill him. History and tradition teach us that Peter would die under the, the rule of Nero, the emperor of Rome. In that time. Tradition also teaches us that Peter was indeed crucified, but that he had asked to be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to die exactly like his master died. But his death, his death would not be a tragedy. The death of a believer, a true believer in Jesus Christ, is not ultimately a tragedy. It would, in fact, glorify God. Have you ever thought about that one verse in Psalm 116, verse 15? I, I use it a lot when we do home goings. People call them funerals. It's, not really what happens for a believer. They go home. 
But we use that particular verse. It's not going to be up here, but it's, so it's a verse that says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Ever wondered about that? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. For indeed, those who are truly and totally committed unto the Lord Jesus Christ will find that they have passed from death into life and that life for eternity. Lazarus' death glorified God because that gave Jesus the opportunity to come and proclaim who he was. What did he say of himself? I am the resurrection and the life. Paul desired that his own death would glorify God, whether by life or by death. Philippians 1, 20 and verse... Uh, verses 20 and 21, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, Paul says that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as, with all, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And then he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For it can only glorify God who created us and gave us the victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ. Because when we die, we live again. Amen? So what Jesus was telling Peter there at the very end was, follow me. Keep on following me, Peter. Keep on. That's what the, the strength of that phrase is. Follow me, English. The depth of the statement, keep on following me, Peter. This had to bring joy to Peter's heart and a renewed sense of love for his Savior. Because anytime the Lord says, follow me, do you know what he's saying to you? He says, I love you. I died for you. You follow me. Follow me. But for a moment, well, this is Peter. For a moment, he took one step back, as it were, when he questioned Jesus about John. Let's look at verses 20 through 23. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following. So obviously, uh, Jesus and, and Peter are taking a little walk by the seashore. And certainly the disciples are just kind of following along to see what's going on, you know. And there's John, who's recording all of this because, you know, he's going to write eventually the Gospel of John. And, and so uh, Peter just kind of turns and sees John. And notice how John describes himself. Seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following. Oh, by the way, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said... Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? <laughs> so we don't miss that this is John that he's speaking about. And Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? In other words, what about him? Well, you know, you might think in, in, in terms of, 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 of humanness that, that Peter was saying, you know, I've been feeling like this is all about me here, Lord, but what about them? What about him especially? And, and Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to you? <laughs> That's a pretty strong statement. Hey, what is that to you? What is that to thee? You follow me. 
follow thou me. You follow me. Now, then went the saying abroad among the brethren that the disciples should not die. So, all of a sudden, this is how scripture can be misconstrued. They said, oh, John is going to live till the rapture of the church. But not Peter. No. He said, if I will, if, if I wanted to, I could make him stay that long. I could make him keep living till I come. But what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, in a simple way, and because of time, he says to Peter, don't meddle in somebody else's ministry or calling. Don't meddle. Just follow. Total commitment requires undivided attention to one's own task. Keep your focus on your task. God will step up with others, you know. He'll, he'll, he'll step up with them. You trust that. God certainly knows where each of us can best serve and that he will call each of one of us by the, uh, to those assigned tasks. So just follow Jesus. Just follow the Lord. And as I said, you know, John corrected the rumor by just saying, he, he, he just says if, if he wanted to, he could have done that. So that's another reason to study the word of God very diligently. Study the word diligently so that you don't misconstrue what the word of God says. Last two verses of John 21, yay. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. As John closes out his gospel, he affirmed and acknowledged the credibility and the reliability of his witness. John witnessed all these events himself, and he wrote them for us as he was led by the Holy Spirit. And as the lives of these disciples and followers of Jesus Christ were transformed, so are many lives still being transformed today. And I pray that they continue to be transformed until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me leave you the word, with the words of John in 1 John chapter 5, verses 10 through 13, to speak about this issue of witness and testimony. And we'll close the gospel with this. 1 John 5, verse 10 says, He that believeth on the Son of God has the witness in himself. He that believeth not God has made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Folks, there's no eternal life in anyone else but in Jesus Christ. He that has the Son has life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. We'll get back to you. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, we can know today that we have eternal life. It isn't a guessing game. 
It isn't it that you do this, this, and this, and this, or you knock on so many doors uh, on the weekends, or, 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 or you wear a white shirt and a, and a black tie and ride a bicycle and go around here doing all of these other works. It's not about that. You know what it is? You can know that you are saved. I have written these things unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God, that name is Yeshua, Jesus. God is salvation. He is HaMashiach. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Anointed One. He is God the Son. And you can know Him today. Before you leave this place, you can know Him and bear witness to his life and to his love until he comes again.